Love it. It's great. I love these stories. I love that this is um, God's stories. And uh, man, I just love that that really attaches itself to just allowing us to see homes and um, communities and the world transformed by people taking um, steps and pursuing God, building community and, and unleashing compassion. And that's a perfect example of how someone just like you has pursued God and taken a next step into something and started building community. And uh, God did a transformative work that's really changing their home and the community around them. And just like you said, because he gets to come alongside of other people. So uh, I invite you to that too. That's just so wonderful to see how God does that work. I wanted to celebrate with all of you as well about some uh, other next steps some people have taken just in this past month. This is already the last weekend of August. And uh, looking back at this last month of August, I just wanted to celebrate with you the transformative work that God's done as people took first-time next steps for Jesus. There was nine people here that told us that I'm accepting Jesus Christ for the first time. And so I want to celebrate with you guys in the transformative work just this month. It's awesome. And at the Bethel campus, they're actually with us today. So hey, shout out. You got Jesse there. And uh, yeah. Um, so they're seeing way more of me than they want to do, like up close <laughs> right now on video for the first time. But we've been there and I've gotten to experience three people taking a first time step for Jesus Christ there at the Bethel location. And so just praise God about the cool things that he's doing um, there. And we just want to celebrate that because um, what you celebrate is what you value, right? And uh, that's really what we value is seeing and recognizing the king and the way he transforms us. Uh, and the only way that he can do. So, like I said, welcome to our friends at Bethel. Here I am drinking in. It's a tall glass. It's way close. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and then I get to be there with you next week. Um, but for now, um, this is what you get. And all of you here, welcome. This is what you get drinking in. It's good stuff. Um, we are um, continuing and actually just getting really close to finishing a series um, called Believe, where we've been walking in this journey this year um, in 2018. Uh, through this book written by a guy named Randy Frazee, and um, we've been giving it out to people, and we started first talking about just the foundation, the fundamentals of our belief system, and salvation, or the Trinity, or church, and what do we think about this, or what has tradition taught us about this, what's different, and what God's Word is speaking into this, and so we walked through that journey, and then we spent some time walking through um, our actions, what does it look like to act out our beliefs, and worship, and prayer, and uh, those different types of postures. And so now, this uh, August, we actually jumped back in, and we're talking about this last little season of this um, book, and it's about who we're becoming, uh, or really the fruit of the Spirit, and um, the virtues that we are becoming ourselves. It's taken from Galatians 5, um, the fruit of the Spirit, and um, we've uh, been having that conversation, and really uh, this conversation about how the fruit of the Spirit is a gift. We have a, a value here called people in process, And that value, people, and process is actually based on the fruit of the Spirit because it's a gift from the Holy Spirit that comes through you with as you're taking those steps. And so we say, hey, everyone is a people in process. You're in a different place. And we want to continue to see fruit ripen and developed and given as gifts through us and to us um, from the Holy Spirit. So we've been having that conversation. um, And uh, I invite you actually to go grab one of these books. Um, If you haven't gotten a copy of this yet, um, you get one for free from us because we just want to be generous and get it to you. You can catch up now, and then you can actually re- read the week that we're going to n- this week for the following week. So you can pre-load uh, for this thing. Um, and if you're with us in Bethel, we actually also have some um, versions in Spanish. 
for those of you who need that. Um, so grab one of these for free. If you are already grabbed that one, this is still a great time to have a conversation with somebody, to get one yourself for five bucks. Go hand it to somebody this week. This next week's topic is hope. I know it's not a fruit, but it's just awesome topic. So sorry, it's like, it's, in, it's what's in the book. <laughs> what a time to talk about hope. Like, hey, want to talk with you about hope? And you're going to get a lot of, yeah, what's that? We've lost all hope. Um, and so you can start having conversations about that. It's a great way to invite people in, um, just into relationship with you. And that's really who God is. And I think that's really how that's developed um, just from the ground roots of it all. Um, so take advantage of that. Grab that on your way out. So today, um, I get to share with you about the amazing topic of self-control. <laughs> it's going to get dirty. <clears throat> um, self-control. This is like one of these big, gigantic topics. And a lot of times we accumulate self-control to like some really specific things and mostly just being selfish and then controlling that. And um, we look at it as things like murder, assault, um, whether that, you know, assault, abuse, mental or physical, drunkenness, sexual crimes, lies, the list goes on and on. We could make a big, long list of people who have lacked self-control or invited sin, and that sin has caused destruction in their life and in the lives of others, right? And sometimes that destruction even happens in themselves because they don't have the self-control, right, um, to even take care of themselves, and wherever, we've talked about this in the past, wherever sin enters in, destruction quickly and death quickly follows behind it, right? So this is the topic that we're going to talk about today, but I am not going to approach it from this angle. You get it. Uh, I think you get it. I'm going to say, why don't you get this? Don't do those things, okay? <laughs> it's just not good. Um, you need to be faithful. You need to watch the words that are coming out of your mouth. Make sure that it's wholesome. You need to treat yourself right. You need to treat others well. You need to take care of the people that are around you. You need to think about other people. Do that. Now, what I want to do today is I actually want to take a deeper dive into this holistic idea of what I really think self-control is all about and a really unique example of how Jesus showed us his own self-control. So I'm kind of going to invite you to get off of the surface stuff here, attach your scuba gear on. We're going to take a dive down deep. And uh, I want to start first with this definition, which is self-control is not only about the discipline to stop doing the things that destroy us, but also about the discipline to do the things that builds us up. Let me read that again. Some of you might even want to take a picture of that. (laughs) Self-control is not about the discipline to just stop doing the things, how often we think of it, right? But it's also about the discipline to do the things that builds us up. See, this is the key. When we build healthy, what's the next one? When we develop healthy discipline to engage spiritual practices, we speed up our spiritual growth rate. When we develop these healthy disciplines to build things up and to engage spiritual practices, we speed up that whole process part, the whole bearing fruit part, the whole spiritual growth rate, and we get to partake in that. And so I'm going to um, ask you to... um, if you have a digital device or you actually brought a, a, a real Bible in Bethel, they actually have them in front of you in the pews, you can hop with me to John 6, um, and I'm going to sit there in that first, right in the beginning of John chapter 6. John's the fourth book in the New Testament. It's one of the Gospels. The Gospels uh, are called um, Good News, and uh, really it's just walking through the life of Jesus Christ, and uh, they all go through a lot of the same things. They all kind of start... Um, with the Jesus story, his teachings, 
And then we see this transition, and then him begin to walk towards Jerusalem and then begin to preach and, and show and through parables and to work and to, for us to learn from that. Then eventually on to his death and resurrection. And the four Gospels highlight this from different points of views and even speaking to different groups of people. One thing that's really interesting about the four Gospels is that there is only two stories that are told in all four of them, right? One of them is the resurrection, all four speak of the resurrection, the miracles. There's only two miracles. I'll, I'll put it that way. Two miracles that's told in every single uh, um, gospel. So the first one is the resurrection. The second one <clears throat> is this really fun one that I think that a lot of people are familiar with, but maybe we tend to look over the importance of this. But it's often referred to as the feeding of the 5,000. It's the only other miracle, or as we'll see today, it was called a sign that was talked about in all four Gospels. And I think there's really something to learn from it when it comes to the fruit of self-control. Um, so let's hop in. John 6.1. If you don't have that digital device, you don't have a Bible, I'm going to put it on the screen. Just made it easier for you. So check it out. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then, uh, then Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover was near. Okay, so this is John's version. The really great part about it being in all four of the Gospels is you get these little different perspectives and nuances and to understand the whole picture and what's taking place. So it started out with sometime after this. So that makes us wonder, what happened just before this story is taking place. And if we jump to Mark, we're going to see that what had just happened is the disciples were just coming back and they were reporting to Jesus. They had done work in his name out in the communities. And they were getting some really exciting news about what was going on. But at the same time, they got some really difficult news. And that was Jesus was just learning right then that his cousin had been killed, that John the Baptist had been killed. And so in the midst of hearing these great news, he also heard some tragic news. And so what he immediately, the way he responded was, was to get away. He wanted to get away and go off with his friends, who he could just be nothing but himself with, and spend some time with them. You ever been there? Where in the midst of exciting stuff, just something else takes place, and, and you just feel like you want to get away. And I think it really shows us some appropriate examples that Jesus, um, who represents God, who is perfect, taught us that it's okay to rest. He went away off to the side to get some rest. And uh, it's, it's from the, the very beginning. So if, if maybe, that's, maybe that's a self-control issue for you is to understand how important rest is. But you see this, it's even before the fall. God instituted rest right off the bat in the very beginning. And we see that Jesus wanted to get away. But what happened was, is in the midst of his getting away and his anguish and his needs and whatever we're going on and saying, we all have needs, we're hurting, we're struggling with these things. In the midst of that, it says that he looked up and he saw the crowds. And in Mark, it says he had compassion on them. So what do we get from that? That in the midst of this thing that was going on with Jesus, in the midst of his life and his needs and what was going on, Jesus never saw people as an interruption. Jesus never saw people as an interruption. In the midst of having needs, you and I, we have needs. In the midst of us having needs, do you 
see the needs of others. I think this is where self-control really starts to poke its head in here. Self-control might say something like, are you willing in the midst of your own needs, in your own chaos, are you willing to deny yourself to see the needs of others and to ask yourself that question? I'll, I'll put it this way, which I think Jesus might try to so gently put it to you and to me. Are you interruptible? Are you interruptible? You know, because we see self-control a lot of times as denying ourselves from something. In the midst of your needs where you want to give yourself something, and something else comes up, are you interruptible? It says that Jesus looked up and saw, he saw a great crowd coming towards him. He said to Philip, his disciple, where shall we buy bread for these people? (laughs) This is the best part. Then he asked this only to to test him because he already had in mind what he was going to do. Sneaky Jesus. (laughs) Philip answered him, dude, it would take like more than a half a year. I really hope he actually called Jesus dude. That would have been awesome. (laughs) Bro. (laughs) It would take like more than a, a, a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to even have a bite. Another one of the disciples, Andrew, uh, Simon Peter's brother comes along, spoke up. He's like, hey, man, here's a little boy. Uh, he's got a couple uh, small five loaves of bread and two small fish, but how far is that going to go? And I think they're probably looking at him and being like, seriously, bro? Like, did you see how many people are here? Like, come on. And then uh, it continues on and says, Jesus said, have the people sit down. So first you have like, we can't afford this. Then you have him saying, hey, here's a kid with some stuff. And then he's like, all right, great, sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Notice the 5,000 men were there. That's who sat down. That's who was counted. Who wasn't counted? (laughs) Women and children. Yeah, man, you guys just like won that one. Women and children, right? So they weren't counted. The men sat down, plenty of grass for them. There's still more than that. So if there's 5,000 men, the guesstimation is somewhere between eight and 12,000 people were actually there that Jesus saw, had compassion on in the midst of his own stuff and saw them there in that moment. 5,000 men, eight to 12,000 in total. So then it says Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had, what's that word? I love that word. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over and let nothing be wasted. Friends, you know what I love about that right there? God doesn't waste things. We do. God doesn't waste things. He doesn't want to waste that thing that you've been through. Did you know that? He doesn't want to waste that thing that you're currently like wrestling with because he's not a God of waste. So they gathered them. They filled the 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. And after the people saw the sign, not the miracle, the sign Jesus performed. They began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. 
What does a sign do? If you see a sign on the freeway, a sign points you to something, right? A sign isn't the answer. The, the sign is pointing you to something and to where you're going. And so in this, this is what I, I really hope God reveals to you and to I today, and even in the topic of self-control of what sign is Jesus pointing out to us? So let's start from the beginning. Jesus is going through his own little situation. Good news, bad news, it's life. He's moving along with his friends. He hears difficult news. He has needs. He's on his way there. His friends are with him. He's wanting to get away with his friends. He looks up and he sees people. And he sees their need. And he says, we need to do something about it. How often, friends, do you walk into a room and say, who needs to be seen? That's self-control. How often do you walk into a room and say, who needs to be seen? Rather than asking this question, which we all do this, right? Let's just go back to like the whole room thing. I, I'll be honest, me. Like when I come walking into a room, right? I'm usually like, hey, I'm here, right? I'm not really like that, but <clears throat> maybe I should be. Um, when I come walking into a room, serious, I come walking into the room, and the first thing I think and see is, who's comfortable? Do I look okay? Do people see me? Are they thinking something weird about me? Um, who can I go stand next to and they'll be okay? Will they see that I need something? Are they going to ask me if I'm okay? Do they really want to know? Do they love me? Do I have something on my face? <laughs> right? Me, 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 me. You been there? Maybe you're there right now. You walked in here and said, what happens, friends? Just like Jesus, when in the midst of his knees, he walks into his place. What, rather than going and asking who sees my needs, walking in and saying, God, who do you need me to see? That's self-control. Not me. Who do you want me to see? Who do you need me to see? The question really is, friends, is who's the main character when it comes to this life? Who's the main character? Is it all about you or is it about him? And when you walk into a room, you actually have a purpose rather than looking for one. Have <laughs> you thought about that? How often have we walked into a room looking for purpose? Me, me, tell me what to do. What do you need from me? I'm going to do this. Rather than walking in and saying, I have a purpose, God, I'm here. Who do you need me to see? And how do they need to be seen? And loved. Can you imagine the, the freedom of walking into a room and already having a purpose? God, if you would just merely free us from merely being aware of ourselves. I, um, I remember uh, a couple years back, I've done quite a few trips to different parts of Africa, and one particular trip, it was actually with Hope for Kids, who um, we partner with. Um, we did something really uncomfortable, but it was really cool. <clears throat> um, it was uh, with a friend of mine, Rick. It was just the two of us. We had gone on this trip. And they said, hey, like this day we're going to go and we're going to love on some widows. I was like, that's awesome. Like it's even in the Bible. Like take care of widows and orphans. Like this is true religion. Like I'm all in. And so then they were like, but this is what you're going to do. You're going to give them a spa day, which by the way, I've never been to a spa day in my entire life. <clears throat> I don't know if you can tell. <laughs> and in the midst of that spa day, you're going to wash their feet 
Yeah. So this is one thing you don't know about me, but I do not do feet. I mean, like, seriously do not do feet. I don't even do my own feet. Like, just don't. No feet. So they're like, you're going to put your hands on some people's feet and say, like, does this feel good? (laughs) And then, you know, so now I'm doing that, and, you know, like, it tickles her, and that's really uncomfortable for me. (laughs) I'm like, oh, gosh, I can't stop. I don't do. Uh, We'll stop with the awkward conversation. Okay, so... I remember watching feet. So then the other thing that they had us do is they gave us some nail polish. And then it's like the worst idea. They're like, paint her nails. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. I've never painted nails before. So I'm trying to paint nails. And then they gave us lipstick. Yeah. And so I got to put lipstick on her. Um, and it, it, it was beautiful. <laughs> oh, man, it was great. And here was the best part. Here's the best part. For reals, here's the best part. They looked beautiful. And they felt beautiful, and they couldn't see themselves, right? But they could see each other, and they kept saying, you look so beautiful. Oh, my gosh, your lipstick looks so beautiful. Oh, look at my nails. Oh, they, and they felt dignity. They felt honor. They felt loved. They felt taken care of in the mess of their own life and whatever was going on. And then somebody had this bright idea. They busted out one of these. This is called a mirror. <clears throat> I've actually learned this. This is a study that says men actually look at this thing 23 times a day and women only 16. Interesting. (laughs) So, sorry, I was having a moment. (laughs) So they busted out this thing on a mirror and they held it up, right? And all of a sudden you saw these women go, oh, oh, hey. And looking at it. And, and then they kind of like were like checking themselves out, and they saw the lipstick thing happen to them. <laughs> but it was like all really, really good. And everyone was loving each other and taking care of each other, and it was all about everybody else until this thing came out. Guess what stopped happening? It was just staring at me. How many of us, friends, how many of us do this? How many of us go walking into rooms doing this? Serious. Me, 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 me. Yeah, they say um, men look at it 23 times a day because they're trying to like be proud of themselves. Like, ooh, you look good. And then women are usually critiquing themselves. <laughs> it's unhealthy, yeah, both of them. The mirror, everything was good until the mirror showed up. This is the coolest part, though, friends. We were, we were experiencing love and self-control, not, not caring of self, before the mirror showed up and all we had was the lenses in which God gave us to see each other. <laughs> when Jesus looked up and he saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Jesus always asks questions. This is the best part. I mean, he asked, that's, a, that's a crazy question. He actually asked 307 questions. He was asked 183 questions. And friends, he only answered three directly. Frustrating, huh? (laughs) This was one of them. (laughs) Where should we buy bread for all these people to eat? Philip and Philip is sitting there as Jesus is seeing people and saying, where should we, where, how are we going to buy bread for all these people to eat? And Philip was able to take the mirror off because he had been around Jesus long enough. He was able to look out and he was able to just say this, I can see this, Jesus, but... We can't. I can't. And I think Jesus sat there and said, I know. (laughs) 
That's the best part. And then you have Andrew who comes walking up. He's like, hey, I found a kid. (laughs) His mom packed him lunch. Here's a really cool part about Andrew. You only see Andrew three times in the Gospels. The first time he brings Peter to Jesus. The second time he brings this little boy who's not even counted, but just has a little to Jesus. And the third time we see him is he brings the Gentiles to Jesus. Pretty good record for Andrew. Who are you bringing to Jesus, friends? This little boy. He has a little bit. So after he had told Philip, I know, that's the best part. Andrew's going, but he's got a little. And Jesus is saying, perfect. You, friends, bring your little. And I will do much. And it will be enough. And everyone will be satisfied. See, he was showing us that when it comes to self-control and to loving others, we're so worried ourselves about provision. And what is he saying is it's not about provision. It's about the provider. It's about the provider. In fact, he goes on just a few verses later to say, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty again. Here's the beautiful thing about Jesus and how he represents his own self-control. In the midst of his needs, he saw ours. See, every other world religion out there, friends, paints this picture of this ladder. And every other world religion is telling you, you got to climb up the ladder. you got to get higher. you got to do better. you got to do this. If you just do that and you check this off the box, you're going to get closer. The problem is, is it's infinite because God is perfect and you're never going to get there. This is where I believe Jesus and God had self-control. Is this is what's different about Christianity than every other world religion. In the midst of our climbing up and trying to do it ourselves, Jesus, God saw us and said, I'm going to climb down to you. And I'm going to provide for you. You bring your little bit, but I'm not going to sit up here. The perfect God came down here and said, it's enough. That's self-control. That's not a me attitude. Friends, when it comes to self-control, what is Jesus doing in you that you're wrestling with, that he wants to distribute through you? What is he doing in you that he wants to distribute through you and you're just not letting it happen because it's me, 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 me? And you're hurting your friends, you're hurting your kids, you're hurting your family, you're hurting yourself. As we end today, I actually want to read some questions from Scripture, questions Jesus actually asked. And I want you to uh, actually, I'm going to invite all of you to close your eyes here. I'm going to invite you to close your eyes there in the room of Bethel. And I'm going to read these questions that come from Scripture because I believe in the power of Scripture. And Jesus wrote these questions or said these questions himself. And as I read them over, you want to see if there's just one that kind of stands out that you can grab onto. Let me read these questions to you. Why are you so anxious? Do you believe I can do this? Why are you so afraid? What are you thinking in your heart? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? 
Where is your faith? Do you want to be well? Do you realize what I have done for you? Have I not chosen you? Have I been with you for so long and still you do not know me? Why are you crying? Whom are you looking for? Do you love me? My friends, come here. Look up. Come here. I think a lot of us, when we hear those questions, we, we see Jesus' posture as this. Asking and shaking. Why? What? Do you? Then I'm reminded in this story, in the grander story, about that whole ladder thing. And I start to recognize his posture not as this, but his self-control, not being self and caring for self, allowed his posture to do this on a cross and then say all those very same things and ask all those very same questions. May we learn today in a profound way what self-control is all about and the gift that's given only through the Holy Spirit as such a ripe, beautiful fruit in our lives. This is what it comes down to. Here's the last little thing. Friends, yielding, yielding to the love, grace, and the presence of Christ in us is the only way we can be victorious. Self-control is possible when God is control of us. We all have needs. Who needs to be seen? And what little can we bring? And what can we do to build up instead of just stop destroying? It's possible when God is in control of us. Would you all bow your heads with me? God, thank you for just your story in our lives that continues to work over and over and over and over again. God, thank you that we are a people in process and that the gift of the fruit that is given to us is timely and overwhelming. May we learn from you, a perfect God, how to bring our not enoughness and know that it's going to be okay. May we stop doing it ourselves and allow you to do it through us, in us, around us. May we just see through the eyes that you've given us and not the mirror we've put in front of ourselves. Give us courage, give us grace. <laughs> we love you, and name we pray, amen.